Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm here with Arnold, and we're going to talk about the Sanctity of Human Life Month, along with Black History Month coming up in February, and how they connect, and how God's Word has messages for you and your local churches that will be relevant to this, to the Sanctity of Life and Black History Month. So Arnold, I am so excited to have you here. Um, would you mind introducing yourself as if you were talking to an executive director who's running a pregnancy clinic here in the US? Absolutely. My name is Arnold Colbreth. I am a minister of the gospel, been preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for uh, 37 years and uh, serve as an apostle in the body of Christ. So I basically serve in three uh, threefold capacity. One, I run uh, my own business, a Breath of Life uh, LLC. Uh, I also serve on staff as a pastor at People's Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I serve as the National Director of Ministry Engagement with the Douglas Leadership Institute. Awesome. And I am so excited to have you on again. I'm excited to hear your, your insight and wisdom. And so... So this month is Sanctity of Human Life Month. What is that, as a pastor, as someone who is passionate about life, tell me, what are your thoughts on the Sanctity of Human Life? What are your thoughts on this month? Well, um, thank you again for having me on the program, uh, Jacob. And um, <clears throat> Sanctity of Human Life Month is always very uh, exciting uh, to me. Uh, it's very necessary. You know, we have a lot of focus on uh, a lot of other aspects where people are trying to uh, provide protections for various things, whether it's saving the whales or saving the turtles or, or protecting trees. And, you know, all of that has its place. But um, if we don't protect humanity, uh, then uh, we're, we're, we're quite a sad uh, bunch. Um, it is my passion to see the hearts and minds of people wrap around the concept of every month being uh, Sanctity of Human Life Month. And what are some what are um, what are some ways that a, a pastor or or a leader can embrace this concept of bringing Sanctity of Human Life into this month or every month? What are some ways? What are some practical ways to do that? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question because I have a real passion for pastors, being a pastor myself, and I've been working with pastors for a couple decades now on this issue. Uh, first and foremost, uh, helping them to realize that, uh, that life is precious uh, and that it's given by God and that it should be protected. Therefore, their congregants need to hear uh, an informed, biblically grounded, strati statistically corroborated, loving, grace-filled message concerning this. That, that's one aspect. And in order to help them to do that, uh, it helps pastors when they view this issue from a biblical worldview and don't allow politics to contaminate uh, that, uh, that, that lens. Hmm. And, and is that a, yeah, so what are some of the pitfalls that sometimes pastors might get stuck or, or get caught by, you know, when it comes to not looking at it in the right way? Or, or what are some ways around 
some of those common, you know, common areas that they may end up like, what are some of the, the concerns that a pastor might have or, and, and how do they, how do you get around those perhaps? Uh, that, that's a great question. Uh, for pastors, uh, our um, um, springboard, if you will, uh, our plumb line, our true north is, is the word of God, right? So, so therefore, one of the things we do at the Douglas Leadership Institute is we help Pat to equip pastors with a biblical worldview. What do I mean by that? I, I don't want to assume that our listeners, our viewers know what that means. That means everything that we do, our thoughts, our motives, our actions, our decisions uh, are, are screened through the sieve of the word of God right? What I find too many people doing, and I was just talking to a young mentee about this a week or so ago, is oftentimes we take our opinions and our views, and then we try to see if it fits with the word. And if not, we try to finagle and manipulate it so that it, um, so that there's rationalization for what I really wanted to do already. What we need to do is find out what our thoughts are and what our views are, and what does the word of God say about it? Now, that being said, you and I are talking about sanctity of human life month. The word of God is replete. In other words, it's full. It's chopped full of confirmation, revelation uh, of concerning life coming from God, that he is the creator and that we, his creation, he has, we, his people, his created beings ought to value and all to protect life. So first of all, that's a pastor's uh, paradigm. And then secondly, how does he uh, or she, that pastor, uh, present that to their congregation? I'm of the mindset, and I've adopted this mindset maybe 10, 15 years ago, Jacob. I was traveling a lot, doing a lot of pregnancy center banquets, speaking at colleges and conferences and things like that. And, and I wanted to really multiply my efforts, in other words, to do work that would have fruit remaining, in other words, more long lasting versus one-off kind of meetings. Therefore, for a pastor, I think it's important that he thinks about this issue from, uh, from this perspective. How do I get a sanctity of life DNA in my congregation from the oldest member to the youngest member? Now, let me give you a quick way that can be accomplished. Most churches already have established ministries. They have adult or seniors ministry. They have young adults ministry. They have youth ministry. They have children's ministry. They have women's ministry. They have men's ministry. These are all pre-made formats in any given church where the matters of life, abstinence, abortion, valuing life, fatherhood, motherhood should be talked about and their, their safe environments where people can share their questions, share their concerns, can share their hurts if they've had an abortion and receive healing and hope. So how might an executive director provide information or ideas to local pastors on this topic or about sanctity of life? You know, what, what would be a good way for an executive director to invite uh, a pastor into into, into um, preaching or including these ideas if they're not already, or, or maybe including a more full set of these ideas? 
I'll give a threefold answer to that question. The first is I challenge pregnancy center directors around the country, uh, and I've been working with them for decades, hundreds of them, uh, encouraging them and consulting uh, with them and helping to be a bridge builder between pregnancy help centers and the church, right? So, um, so, so first of all, uh, she has to begin praying and having her staff praying for that pastor. So I encourage uh, uh, pregnancy center directors to put a map, I call it a prayer map, on the wall in their conference room. It shows your general locale. You take a push pin, here's my pregnancy center. Here's the first Baptist church. Here's the second Baptist church. Here's the third Baptist church. I'm just making up names. Here's sure. the name of the pastor. Here's the name of his wife and by name begin praying for that pastor and that church and his wife, that their hearts and minds would be open oh, to this issue. Because what I find is many people uh, experience resistance in this work because of our, our human efforts. And prayer is too underutilized in this work. So that's before she knocks on any door. The second thing is that if and when she knocks on that door of that church to try to get in, to try to build relationship with that pastor, to try to get a spot on maybe the Sunday morning uh, service or the midweek Bible study to talk about her center, and she's experiencing difficulty, then there are people like the Douglas Leadership Institute ready and available, and we have relationships with many of the pastors around the country and or we're forming relationships with the pastors. And the difference is, I'm not minimizing, I'm just talking about differences. Here's the pregnancy center and her, uh, her the director's appeal to that pastor. But when we come in as Douglas Leadership Institute, we're talking to him pastor to pastor. And that has a different ring uh, in his ears. And our Jeremiah uh, one in five project is, is a powerful project uh, primarily for pastors, not exclusively, but primarily, and I'll say more about that in a minute. So, so the first thing she needs to do is pray. Second thing she needs to do after she's prayed is knock on that door and try to get into that church. And should she experience difficulty, which most executive directors of pregnancy centers experience going into churches, particularly if they're churches of people that look like me, reach out to us, reach out to me, and we can help you in that regard. Oh, that's awesome. So when you were mentioning before about the Bible being chock full of talking about saving lives, and what, the first passage that came to mind was the, when essentially the, you know, the story of the shepherd um, who went to go find the one sheep that had gone astray and got stuck in some, you know, thorny bushes. Um, and how the you know, how that shepherd left the ninety nine sheep to go find the one, and what, what what what's the passage in the Bible that you think of, or what what are your what are your thoughts on a passage that comes to mind first when it comes to the Bible speaking about saving lives or or um, and going out to help help those who are most in most need and have the greatest need. Well, Jacob, I'll tell you, there, as, a, as a lover and student of the word, there are many passages that come to my mind. Um, I think about broader than a, a passage, and then I'll get to a passage. Broader than that, I look at the forces of darkness, the enemy, the devil, uh, anti-life, right? Antichrist, who has mm. been uh, uh, working to assault and to assail and to eliminate life from the very beginning. 
I mean, when we look at the deception of the serpent in the, in the garden, in the book of Genesis, and then we look at God uh, desiring to uh, bring a deliverer onto the scene, Moses, you know, in the book of Exodus, and, and, and the enemy through Pharaoh trying to snuff out human life, even at those early stages. Mm. Then you go over to, uh, you can go to Exodus chapter one, and you see uh, uh, kings, you know, making decrees against uh, preborn life. And, uh, you know, there were Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter one, uh, Shifra and Pua were their names. And they decided to go against the king's edict, and they were going to stand for life, you know, even though they had the opportunity to snuff out life at the birthing stool, the Bible puts it, uh, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the birthing room, but they chose to go against that. And then you come all the way to the New Testament, and you look at Jesus's birth, again, a deliverer right? Jesus's birth and Herod wanting to declare, or not wanting, but declaring a death decree uh, to try to snuff out uh, the, 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 you know, our Savior and our Lord, uh, Jesus Christ. And um, uh, so that's been going on for a very, very long time. But one of the scriptures that stirs in my heart in direct answer to your question is Psalm 139. And I happen to be reading from uh, the King James Version. It starts out, David is the writer, and he says in verse one, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knows my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar, afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Then, then if you jump down to um, verse 13, he says, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. He says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. So David is saying, God, you formed me in my mother's womb, and you knew me even from my mother's womb, and I'm going to praise you as a result of that. Hmm, that's beautiful. Yeah, it just speaks to the marvel, the marvelous works that God has done. It's amazing. Um, so one of the things that praise the clinic directors often are faced with is, well, it feels like it's a, it's an ongoing spiritual war, one battle after another. What, what would you offer some encouragement or something as you reflect on God's word for how to encourage executive directors who are faced with spirit, essentially the, the, yeah, the world that they're working in when it comes to trying to reach abortion-minded women and helping them choose life through adoption, parenting, by using rapport and care and listening and love and free services and all of what they are doing, I feel like they're, they're, they're constantly um, effectively like the frontline you know, people in this, in this fight. And, and, it's, and it's not like they get much rest very often. It feels like there's, it's like an ongoing battle for the most part, it feels, but God is good when it comes to providing rest and providing help, but it's, it's, it doesn't feel like the, the battle never seems to lighten up. Like it doesn't take a vacation. It feels like it's just ongoing. Um, what might you say to an executive director who's going through this battle experience, spiritual battle experience? Uh, what would you, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. Absolutely. Um, there are several thoughts that I have. One is, um, 
you know, our weapon, our, our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the Bible says, or earthly or temporal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our, our, our enemy is not an earthly enemy. As diabolical as Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry is, they are not our enemy. It's the forces of darkness behind them. Therefore, I'm going to go back to what I said a moment ago. Prayer is incredibly important, okay? So we have to keep our focus uh, on the Lord, right? Because he is in control and he is sovereign. He's superintending the earth, right? I know there are bad things that happen in the world. And many people have asked that question for, for eons. If God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen? Well, because humanity has fallen and humanity is riddled with sin. So humanity does a lot of things, but God does not uh, abdicate uh, his relationship with humanity. He's still involved in our everyday affairs and he uses people like myself and yourself and pregnancy center directors to intervene in the lives uh, of men and women to provide uh, help and hope. So I wanna encourage that pregnancy center director to, to pray and to keep her focus on the Lord, right? And then lastly, I would say, uh, be encouraged. I'm a United States Army veteran. So a lot of my imagery uh, it is relative to uh, military pursuits, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not uh, advocating violence in a human context or anything like that. But when you read the word of God, you realize that we're in a battle. We're in a battle against light and darkness. We're in a battle against good and evil. We're in a battle against uh, the angelic forces and the, the demonic satanic forces. So we're in a battle. But as a United States Army veteran, I think about uh, the infantry troops and they may be in a foxhole in a battle situation and, and that soldier is firing their weapon, right? And they can't see the enemy, but they're firing and shooting and they're tired, they may be thirsty, they may look over in the foxhole and the other soldier that's next to them has maybe been shot or mortally wounded and they're in a battle and they're, 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 they're laden with anxiety and fear and concern about, will this ever end? You know, will mm. I live? Will I make it another day? And, and, and some of the work that I do, and I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, I'm speaking proverbially and I'm speaking prophetically. The work that we do at Douglas Leadership Institute being national is we get to traverse the nation and almost like the Air Force. So we get to see the battlegrounds. We see legislation coming under attack and being a potentially overturned, even with this newest Dobbs case that can potentially overturn Roe versus Wade. We see pastors waking up and, and beginning to preach and teach life in their churches. You won't hear about that in the mainstream media, but we see it and we hear it. And part of our job is to radio down to that pregnancy center director in her local foxhole, in her local community, and to encourage her, don't stop. If you're listening to this, don't stop. Be encouraged. Continue to move forward because we are winning this battle. And ultimately, we win the war. Yeah, and that is so important for, you know, I, I, I really appreciate and love those words of don't stop. And the way you said that is just so encouraging. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I really want to reflect back on what you, when you said, you know, the very first thing to do when reaching out to pastors in a local area is to put pens and identify where they are in your area, identify the names of the pastor and the spouse, and then to pray over them by name. 
I mean, that, that is such wise God, God breathed advice. Like that's amazing. And you know, what's so deep about that Jacob is uh, most pregnancy center directors, and I'm not faulting them. I love them. I labor with them. I just emailed a friend of mine who runs a pregnancy center this morning about uh, a, a matter that we're doing here in, in my city of Cincinnati, Ohio, coming up at the end of this month. I'll be heading up a uh, prayer rumble, an equipping for life prayer rumble. And I, I'll talk about that in a moment. But um, for that pregnancy center director, they think about the frustration of trying to get into the churches and they're not having, uh, they're not being granted access. But if you flip that coin upside down, what they don't think about, and I'm sharing this as a pastor, what they don't think about is the onslaught of what's coming up against that pastor on the other side of the equation that may have nothing to do with pro-life. It may have nothing to do with the pregnancy center, but the end result is it causes you not to be granted access. But pastoring is not a task for the faint of, of heart. It is a challenging role. It is, it's a godly and kingdom assignment, and I'm honored to serve in that capacity, but it's challenging. You know, it's challenging. So pray for that pastor. Yeah, that's really, that's really good. What, what a, at my church, uh, just before the new year, we started taking on a new idea of reaching out to our communities. And one of the things that we're doing is each of us are encouraged to pray for the people in our neighborhoods mm-hmm. by, you know, for example, there might be a house with an old car, you know, maybe a there's an old car in the front and praying for that house based on what I might know. And I was like, yeah, but being observant and knowing and, and looking out for like, you know, this, you know, paying for this house, with the person that rides their bike every morning. And then as I get to know that person's name, praying for them by name. And then as, and that, and the, and the end result, the goal is to invite those people over to eat together and then to essentially build community. And that's essentially, I feel like, you know, just, but it all starts with prayer. It doesn't start by knocking on the door and saying, hey, we'd like to go over to eat. We're, we're essentially praying for them. And so as we walk through the neighborhood, essentially we're, we're being encouraged to pray for houses by what we happen to know. And so if that church, all you happen to know about that church is the name of the church or that it has, you know, the, you know, the white building or, you know, the blue car. You could pray for the, the white church with the blue car. And then as you get to know that pastor's name, add that to the list. And as you get to know the, the spouse's name, add that to the list. But starting by praying based on what you happen to know, and then with the expectation that eventually you're going to be able to spend time, you know, maybe eating lunch or visiting with them in their their pastor's office. I think that is and then you can essentially, and then you can give all the honor and praise to God because he's answering those prayers. And so that's, yeah. And yeah, God's going to work. Um, so, so I want to move on to the next segment, which is how does next month connect to this month? What are your thoughts on the, on the uh, Black History Month and how this connects to the Sanctity of Life month here in January? Black History Month is is an exciting month, February. Uh, We spend a lot of time during that month, um, you know, highlighting the uh, exploits, if you will, of various uh, African-American trailblazers or those that have impacted history. Excuse me. And we generally uh, have a tendency to go 
navigate toward, you know, uh, Frederick Douglass, hence the name, the Douglass Leadership Institute, Harriet Tubman, uh, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa, Rosa Parks, and all of those kinds of figures, and that's honorable. But I want to challenge the listeners to bring that from 50,000 feet down to 30 and maybe even 15,000 feet and think about those African-American influencers uh, that are that are uh, in, that are a little more accessible to us, if you will, you know, like some of those pastors that will be on that pregnancy center directors prayer board, mm, you know, okay. many of them are we're con- every day of our lives, Jacob, we're contributing to history. I mean, I'm not trying to put a spotlight on myself, but um, I, I dare to believe that I'm that I'm a historical figure impacting Black History Month and more uh, moreover uh, history in general. You you know, so so when we think about uh, Black History Month, we think about presidents and we think about you know all of this kind of thing. But <clears throat> I remember as a kid in school, we had a janitor in our school who was very influential. He was always affirming. He was always loving. If we were roughhousing or if we were, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, dilly dallying, making our way toward uh, class, you know, he would get on us. All right, you all get on in class. You know, to me, those are some of the heroes that don't get celebrated as much. I'll give another example. And that is, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, fathers that are in the home. You know, um, we think so much about um, the absence of fathers in the home in the Black community, and that's real. That's real. We need to think about that. But there are many of us who who have been standing uh, on the wall for a very long time, loving our children, caring for our children. And I'm not looking for any special award or commendation for doing that other than hearing the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant when I get to heaven. But there are many of us that are significantly impacting Black History Month. But check this out. I'm going to juxtapose Sanctity of Human Life Month, January, with Black History Month, February. Abortion remains the number one killer of Black Americans. Abortion snuffs out the lives of more African Americans than any other cause of death. Let me say that another way. You can take all the other causes of death and add them up together. Heart disease, violent crimes, uh, uh, diabetes, uh, HIV, AIDS, et cetera, et cetera, COVID, right? You can add all of those things up together and then put alongside of it the number of Black abortions that happen on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, yearly basis, and abortions always out uh, pace the other deaths. Now, when you combine deaths from all other causes, coupled with Black abortions, which uh, exceed every other people group, right? It Death in the Black community outpaces life. Let me say that again. I want to be as clear as possible. The number of Black deaths from all causes, including abortion, exceeds the number of live Black births that occur. Mm. We are the only people group that's upside down, meaning we're leaving this earth at a faster, greater rate than we're coming here. If that continues, then there really won't be much of a need. I know this might sound sacrilegious, sacrilegious to my Black uh, you know, listeners or, or, or those that will watch this, this podcast. But, you know, part of my mission in life is to comfort the afflicted 
and to afflict the comfortable. So if I agitate you, then I've done my job right. But if abortion continues to be the number one killer of Black Americans, there won't be much of a need for Black History Month because we won't be here as a people. That's very sobering. It's, it's, and that's, and it's, it is hard to say, but at the same time, it needs to be said and it needs to be heard because, I mean, how else can someone push to reverse that upside down state unless they identify that there's a need and a problem and, and they understand those numbers and how they're affecting the future of the African-American population? Yeah, and if I can correct something just for a moment, or at least nudge on something that you just said a moment ago, and sure. now speaking to that that pastor that may be listening, you said that's hard to say. Um, I didn't find it hard to say at all. I mean, okay. it, it is is the moral imperative. It is the biblical mandate that I've been given to speak this truth, and I have to trust God for the outcome from me speaking that truth. And quite frankly, that's one of the reasons that too many pastors have been uh, mm-hmm. muzzled and afraid to speak truth. Uh, yes, there are outside forces. There are disgruntled members. There is, you know, the attacks against our religious liberties and all of that stuff. But more often than not, it's self-imposed limitations, my own fear or hesitancy to preach truth. Now, when we preach truth, according to the word of God, it must be full of truth, but tempered with grace and love. So most pastors, when they hear what we're talking about today, they then want to preach this message to their congregants from a hellfire and brimstone kind of a perspective. The post-abortive women and men in their pews, which are far more uh, prevalent than what pastors might realize, right? Planned Parenthood says that by age 45, one in every three women will have had at least one abortion. And you and I know that there's always a man involved. So they're proliferating our church pews, post-abortive men and women who have never shared their story or their pain with anybody, right? So, So that pastor owes it to God, owes it to himself, and owes it to his congregants to preach truth. But you've got to do it with love, and you've got to do it with grace, but you've got to do it. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, I, I, I it's, it's right. Cause it's not hard to say when it's that important and it's that important for people to hear and understand, and it needs to be voiced. That's really good. Mm. So I know before you mentioned that you wanted to talk about Jer- Jeremiah one and five, would this be a good time to segue into how that connects with what we've been talking about? It's always a good time to talk about the, <laughs> to talk about the Jeremiah one and five project as I lift up my mug. <laughs> That's right. In so Jeremiah, tell us, yeah, tell us yeah, more. In Jeremiah one and five, and you asked earlier what was a scripture that came to mind. I happened to go to Psalm one thirty nine, and you so wonderfully went to even uh, you know the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Jeremiah 1 and 5, God is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, and he says to him, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I called you to be a prophet to the nations. So in that verse, that's an action-packed verse, and all of God's uh, word is so pregnant with purpose and destiny and, and information and revelation and ultimately transformation, right? It's, it's designed to change us. We will never change it. 
because it's 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 immutable, right? But uh, but but we but, but it will change us. So so when you look at that verse, you see the purview of God, right? He sees all and he knows all. He saw Jeremiah even in his mother's womb. The second thing we see is personhood. God acknowledges Jeremiah as a person. He said, before I formed you, Jeremiah, in your mother's womb, I formed you, right? So personhood, right? Not a clump of cells, you know, but I mean, that there's some truth to that, you know, even though that uh, rebuttal derived from the abortion industry, a clump of cells, you and I are clumps of cells, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, That's true. You know, some people are just bigger clumps uh, than other clumps, but we're all <laughs> clumps. So we see personhood, we see purview from God, and we see purpose. He called him to be a prophet to the nations, right? Now, all of us, every created being by God has a purpose, right? We might not like that purpose, right? The mosquito has a purpose. <laughs> the locust has a purpose. <laughs> the cow has a purpose. You and I have a purpose. And what we have to do, and this is a different podcast, but we need to find out what that purpose is and then live out all our days uh, 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 joyfully and faithfully and passionately carrying out that purpose. But we see the purpose of God. So what we're asking pastors to do is to pray for an end to abortion. I keep talking about prayer and its power. There are many uh, pro-life advocates that are listening to this, whether they're everyday people that write letters and talk about it, blog about it, post about it on social media, or whether they're folks that involve and interface with legislation, or whether they're a pregnancy center director. All of how frequently do I pray for an end to abortion? You know, I'm not saying we're not working and we're not laboring, but a lot of times that becomes a a fleshly pursuit rather than prayer-fueled efforts. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. So so we're asking pastors to pray for an end to abortion. Second thing, we're asking them to preach and to teach that life is sacred and that it it it, it comes from God and that it should be re- protected. And then lastly, we're asking them to promote the Jeremiah 1 and 5 project by uh by recruiting, by uh sharing with their pastoral peers. And we already have over 500 black pastors signed up. And we have some non-pastors signed up. We have everyday folks signed up for our Jeremiah 1 and 5 project and standing with us. Why is that so important? As I conclude, why is that so important for a pastor? Because when a pastor steps out and and begins preaching and teaching on life, not just in Sanctity of Human Life Month, but all through the year, he feels, she feels like they're alone. And when you connect with the Douglas Leadership Institute and our, our, our network of pastors, you begin to realize, well, wait a minute, there are hundreds out there that are standing for life as well. I am not alone. And check this out, Jacob. If you were looking for a car and you were going to buy a red car, right now, I don't know what color your car is, but you're probably not thinking about you know some yeah. other color car, right? But then when you say, okay, I'm going to buy a red Toyota, right? Now all of a sudden you're seeing red Toyotas everywhere, right? Once we become aware of, sensitive to, conscious of uh, life and its value and the assaults against life in the word of God, then you begin to see it everywhere throughout the pages of scripture. Mm. It's profound. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, so when I started praying for abortion to end, 
I, I, it was probably 15 plus years ago. And back then I had no idea on how Roe versus Wade would ever get overturned. Like I, I didn't see the pathway, uh, but I was praying, but at the same time, it felt like a very, it felt like a mountain, like I was praying for a mountain to be moved. Like it was this, you know, unsurmountable thing. It felt like, but then today it feels like, you know, here we are in 2022 and Roe versus Wade is getting turned back to the States and we're like, it, it's just, it's, 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 it's epic. It's, it's miraculous. It's God working. And, and here we are today where it's literally happening. And it was, it was, it was just sort of, um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that it's actually happening. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just amazing. <laughs> so, oh, I think you're, you might've muted yourself. You said a number of things as you were, yes. as you were, were sharing uh, in, in, in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 17. Uh, let me find it here. Uh, Jesus says to his followers in Matthew 17 and 20, he says, uh, because, he says, uh, truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall move and nothing shall be impossible to you. So you made the analogy of Roe versus Wade being a mountain and God encourages, invites and challenges us. Uh, I dare say commands us to pray for those various mountains so that those mountains will be removed. Now, uh, um, um, Roe versus Wade isn't the, the ultimate mountain, you know, because what people need to realize is if Roe versus Wade is overturned uh, tomorrow and that authority is then moved back to the states, well, then we've still got a lot of prayer and pressure to put yeah. those local judges and, and, and legislators to uphold that law. We've got states like Ohio, where I live, Georgia, that have some of the most um, pro-life laws on the books. But if the judges won't up, uh, uphold them from the bench, it really doesn't make any difference. So let's continue the battle in the political yeah. realm. That's necessary. I'm excited. There are many organizations, even our counterpart organization, the Douglas, excuse me, the Frederick Douglass Foundation which is a different organization, but it's a sister organization to the Douglas Leadership Institute, Frederick Douglass Foundation. And if people want to learn more about it, they can go to FDF National working on political things. But what we do on the 501c3 side, the Douglas Leadership Institute side, is we prevail upon the hearts and minds of men. And if we can get the hearts and minds of men and women to change, it, it really doesn't matter what the laws are on the books. I'm going to do right because conscious demands that I do it. Yeah, and, and you're right. Abortion is different than Roe versus Wade. Praying to end abortion is a matter of changing the hearts and minds of people. Yes. Um, and Roe versus Wade is going to make it, well, taking away that federal ruling by the Supreme Court yes. and putting it back into the state's hands and then lawmakers may make a law regarding abortion that would be where laws usually come from but um 
but yeah, so like people might travel from a where abortion is outlawed to California or somewhere to, but but it's not like yeah, so it's it's gonna make it harder for someone to get one, but it wouldn't make it it, it would still be accessible and it, we still and the and the work is not done, you know, because abortion will still be in our land. And, it and will. Text, yeah, because like as Texas has made it so that people essentially can't get an abortion after six weeks in Texas. What we what I've heard or seen is that people are traveling traveling across state lines, and so the number of abortions hasn't overall hasn't necessarily decreased because of that. But people are traveling to a, a neighboring state, um, right, right? And then that's and, where and, yeah, yeah. And to and to broaden that, uh, you know, we've got hordes of uh, let me I, let me use a different uh, a different adjective. We've got multitudes of post-abortive men and women, that is men and women that have had abortions that are hurting. And that yeah. is a continuation of the work. That is some of the, um, the, the vile fruit or results of abortion that still needs much work. And, and if, if you're listening, male or female, and you've had an abortion, uh, you need to know that, that God loves you that even as I talked about Jeremiah 1, 5 being a verse of purpose, where he called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, you have a purpose as well. And just because you, you committed that act does not mean that your purpose and your uh, God's, uh, God's desires for you, God's dreams for you are canceled. There's a scripture in the Bible, in the book of 1 John, verse 1, excuse me, chapter one, verse nine, first John one and nine, it says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you've had that abortion, confess that before God, lay it out before him. He will forgive you. And the shed blood of Jesus Christ at the cross covers you from your sins. So post-abortion becomes uh, an important uh, part of that uh, continued uh, work. And then on the flip side of the coin, we've got to continue work to train our young people to keep themselves sexually pure until marriage. And maybe they're not so young people. They might be a 30, uh, 30 year old uh, that, that hasn't married yet to keep themselves sexually pure. Again, I'm using the Bible as the plumb line. I'm not, this isn't my opinion saying it, it would be right to keep yourself sexually pure. The Bible demands it, right? So again, biblical worldview, not the court of public opinion, right? And, and, and people say, well, abstinence education doesn't work. No, it's not abstinence education doesn't work. It doesn't work if you don't work it. You know, if a person is not having sex, Jacob, this is gonna be, this is gonna blow somebody's mind. If a person isn't having sex, the chances of them getting pregnant are pretty good, right? The chances <laughs> of them getting a sexually transmitted disease. And watch this, the chances of them having all of those emotional scars and baggage as a result of what comes out of sexual activity before marriage, right? Now, I'm not saying baggage is a person engaging in sex, getting pregnant, and then having a baby. I'm not saying that's baggage. That, 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 that pregnancy, that conception may have been a surprise to those parents, right? But it's never a surprise to God. Yeah. 
Oh, that's good. Well, I, I just really appreciate you sharing your thoughts today. And mm. I'm, would you, would you wrap up our, our podcast with a prayer that this will, these, these ideas and words will resonate and help and bless um, the executive directors who happen to hear or the pastors that will, you know, maybe the executive directors will pass this link onto a pastor in their area to be an encouragement and to, to help um, just sort of help connect their local pastors with, with these topics that are helpful uh, to share with the body of Christ. Would you, you know, sort of cover our, our ending in prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would be honored. And before I do that, with this being Sanctity of Human Life Month, we always have, we're coming up on the, uh, what is it, the 48th or is it the 49th uh, annual March for Life? I'm, I'm looking it up because I'll be there in Washington, D.C., 49th uh, March for Life. And not only do we do it nationally in our nation's capital, but we also in Washington, D.C., but it also happens at many uh, state houses across the nation, as well as in local areas. There are pregnancy centers that pull together local marches for life. I want to encourage listeners. I want to encourage pastors to participate in some of those March for Life related activities. Uh, you don't have to be a scheduled speaker to be there. Just be there. And, I, and, I, and now I want to prevail, Jacob, if I could be so bold upon my African-American brothers and sisters that are listening. I want to encourage and I want to challenge you to begin to get more involved in March for Life and pro-life related matters. There are many folks like the 40 Days for Life campaign that just quietly, peacefully pray in front of the abortion mills of our land. And with abortion being the leading killer of Black Americans, we need African Americans out in front just praying, just quietly praying. It's not a big hoopla. You're not shouting. You're not calling the women murderers that are going. And if you're doing that, I encourage you to stop calling the murderers that are going into the abortion where you're just praying to, 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 to shift the heart and mind of that young woman, that young man, that parent that's pushing that child into abortion. So Sanctity of Human Life Month, get involved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you for this podcast, God. I thank you personally and specifically for Jacob Barr and, and this, this podcast, oh God, I thank you for its reach I thank you for its impact. I thank you for its influence. And now, God, we pray particularly over this particular episode. God, use it to touch, to encourage, to challenge, to change hearts and minds. Father, I pray that those that are, that are already uh, thoroughly pro-life, Father, would be encouraged by what was shared. Father, I pray for those that, as the late uh, pro-life trailblazer, Dr. Jack Wilkie, who I had the privilege of working with for eight years, would call the mushy middle, those in the middle that, that are, you know, acting almost proverbially as though they're Switzerland, Father God. God, I pray that you would move them off of the fence and you would pull them over into the fray, that they would get involved. And Father, we pray for those that are all the way on the other side of the issue, that staunchly and dogmatically believe that 
it's a woman's right to choose and all of those kinds of things. God, we pray for a woman's right to choose as well. We just pray that she would choose life, oh God, as Deuteronomy 30 and 19 declares. You set before us life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both we and our seed may live. God, I pray for that post-abortive woman or man out there. Comfort them, encourage them, use their testimony to strengthen others. We lift up that pregnancy center director that's out there, that's, that's tired, that's weary in the work, oh God. Strengthen them, encourage them, help them to have healthy uh, boundaries regarding uh, work and rest, oh God. May they genuinely take an off day, oh God. Not call it an off day and still do a whole lot of work, oh God. You created the world in six days and took a seventh day to rest, oh God. Not because you were tired, but to be, uh, to, 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 it's for us to gain fresh insight. It's for us who are tired to gain rest, Father God. Mm-hmm. And Father, lastly, I pray for that young person that's never engaged in sex with all of the pressure from the media and visual images and social uh, media, Father, and peer pressure, help them to stand and help them to realize they're not weird. They're not some freak. God, raise up pastors that are, that are I'm not going to say fearless, because a lot of the work we do as pastors, you have fear, but you do it anyway. So God, I pray that you would anoint pastors, that you would strengthen them, that you would help them to connect with us at Douglas Leadership Institute, that we might be able to encourage them, fortify them, and be colleagues along with them. We thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, we pray. Amen. Amen. That was Arnold. I, I want to say thank you for providing truth wrapped in love and care. And I, I know this will be a blessing to those who hear this message and these thoughts and ideas. And so I just want to say thank you for, for being willing and, and yeah, essentially sharing this amazing, encouraging stories of God's word that are going to help encourage and build up people as they as I reflect on, yeah, what God is saying through, through your voice. So that's really You're awesome. Welcome. You are welcome. <laughs> I encourage people to go to our website, dlinstitute.org, DL for Douglas Leadership, dlinstitute.org, and they can find our Jeremiah 1 and 5 project there. Very simple sign-up process. You don't have to be a pastor, but we, we would welcome you and um, be encouraged. Stay in the fight. We win. Awesome.